me again add my welcome to all who are gathered here in our auditorium, to all who are gathered online uh, in various places at homes. Uh, we appreciate you being a part of our assembly and know that we have a significant number of folks that are worshiping online today, and we're grateful for that. We're grateful for all of those who are here. As we uh, continue to um, look at a series of sermons based on the thought, what I believe and why, uh, this morning, as you see, I want to speak about faithful families and how they are needed now more than ever. And I want you to know I had great plans. Today we were going to honor the uh, uh, Danny Snell family, and they're here, and and we were expecting to be able to make a big deal about them. And so we're going to save that and do that another time. Um, and uh, and it's just that on that day I won't be speaking about faithful families. So um, that's okay because, you know, God has his way of taking Bill's plans and ideas and uh, expectations and kind of turning them around a bit. But I've learned to that that's okay too. So we love and appreciate uh, Danny and Lisa and Shannon and Jordan very, very much and look forward to the time when we can uh, do that in a more formal way. Um, who comes to mind when you think of faithful families? If I were to ask you, what does a faithful family look like? What would probably happen is you would think of somebody. It may be your family, it may be your parents, it may be someone you know. Who comes to mind when you think of faithful families? And then what is it about that family that would cause that to happen? Why is it that they're the ones that come to your mind? I like this story. A lady wrote in to Christian Reader and said, <clears throat> My seven-year-old often asks for help in washing her long hair. One day I said, You really need to learn to do this by yourself. I know, she replied. I don't want my husband to laugh at me when you have to come over and wash my hair every day. <laughs> well, she is definitely on the right track because that, that is certainly true. But the truth is, faithful families kind of lean on each other and lean on the church, and lean on God. And I want you to know, I believe there are a lot of faithful families out there. There are a lot more faithful families out there, I think, than the media gives us credit for. We've been sharing in our uh, Bible class in the Family Life Center over the last few weeks about biblical morality and the sanctity of marriage and, and the goodness and grace and forgiveness of God. And I shared with them a, a few statistics from a book by Shanti Faltan called The Good News About Marriage. She is a great writer and, uh, and has written a book a few years back, The Good News About Marriage, in which she challenges that age-old statistic, half of all marriages end in divorce. And she says, st statistically, that can't hold up. That can't be supported. It's just not true. And so we've mused a little bit in class, and I've, I've kind of wondered to myself, how is it that that has become so common, and how do you get to that number? And my best guess is, well, on any given year, let's say you have 1,000 marriages, and you have 500 divorces, and so that's 50%. <laughs> and you, just saying that much, you can see the fallacy in that whole uh, thinking. 
because obviously there are many more marriages that have happened than just that thousand this year, and those 500 divorces are probably not out of those thousand marriages. And, and so how do you do that? Well, the, the, the people that do statistics, they're able to, to see the kinds of percentages, such as um, out of a thousand Americans, how many, what's the percent of those who uh, are divorced? And, and that number has been declining over the last uh, 40 years, since 1980. That number has been steadily declining each time uh, they measure it. And Shanti Feldhan, in her book, uh, she says, according to a 2009 study, 72% of first marriages were still intact. And then, of course, out of that 28% that's left over, not all of those were divorced. Some of those... Uh, were widows or widowers. And that number is fairly consistent because in 1991 it was 70%, in 2001 it was 70%, and then in 2009, 72%. Even those who approach things from a more secular perspective and look at secular studies and research uh, would say that that 50% figure is a bit high. They would say uh, one study I saw said that it was closer to 40 or 42 Shanti and other writers um, say that that, even that figure may be too high. Well, there's lots of other things and and interesting uh, studies that that she has done and that others have done. And one of the incredible things that she wrote about uh, was a study of couples who say uh, God is at the center of our marriage. And so she asked, uh, the study asked, are you happy with your marriage? Are you very happy? Are you happy? Are you unhappy with your marriage? And this is just those who said that God is at the center of our home, at the center of our marriage. And of the ones who said that, in this study, 93% said they were either happy or very happy. 40% said happy, 53% said very happy. Having God at the center of your life and having God at the center of your home has an impact, and it makes a difference. An active, real faith, as well as an active, real involvement and connection with a local church makes a great deal of difference. Again, that figure is not 100%, and I'm sad to acknowledge that. And we all know that that's that's true. And at this church, we preach very strongly of the sanctity of marriage, and we also preach very strongly that if you are divorced or going through a divorce, that, that we're here for you. And we're here to help in however, whatever way we can. Because that's what the church is supposed to be about. I appreciate, Sean, your comments as we gathered around the table. And one of the things that Sean reminded us of and that Galen did as well in the shepherd's prayer is to be careful about how our culture affects us rather than us having an impact on our culture. And I think we have a great opportunity in this country at this time to really be that light of our world to really live with a different set of values, to really have families that are not perfect, far from it. (laughs) Families that do struggle at times, but that families 
that are faithful to God and to each other. And here's the secret, one of the secrets. We need each other's help to do that. Another thing Sean shared about uh, as he talked about complacency, and what a great time to talk about complacency as we think about the sacrifice of Christ. Because that is the ultimate example of someone who is not complacent, (laughs) but acted at a time when he didn't even have to act for the sake of other people that he didn't even have to help. And that cost him something, cost him everything to be involved. And yet he chose to do that. That's the call for us too. And in order, as Sean was talking about watching online, our leaders, we have bemoaned the fact for months, literally, (laughs) to each other and in meetings that is everybody going to come back when we are able to come back? Or are some going to say, you know, I kind of like that pajama church. I kind of like having, you know, my uh, songs and sermon and communion in bed while I have a cup of coffee close by. Honestly, that kind of sounds glorious (laughs) a little bit. But we need each other. We need each other. God could have actually arranged for that from the start. But instead, he said, no, you assemble together. You meet together. And we know that many of our our family and others who are watching online are watching online because they feel like they need to stay at home right now. And we're okay with that. And we trust your judgment on that. But what we're praying for and what we're looking for, and quite frankly, as Sean said, what we're expecting is that when the time is right and it's it's time that everyone will come back and that we will be here together because that's the whole purpose of the assembly. In the New Testament, the purpose of the worship assembly is not to worship God. We can do that anywhere at home. The purpose is to worship God together and to encourage one another in the process. So we want faithful families, but to have faithful families, we need each other, and we need each other's help. Scripture has a lot to say about what it takes to have faithful families, and there are a lot of uh, scriptures on our uh, on the app that's got my sermon outline on it, and so I encourage you to take a look at that when you have time. Also, we will uh, I will certainly be glad to share any of these scripture passages with you as well. A lot of the scriptures that are on that outline are um, scriptures that are not specifically in the context of husband and wife or parent and child. And I think we forget sometimes, (laughs) I forget as a husband and father and grandfather now, we forget sometimes that the passages that tell me how to be a good husband and father and grandfather and brother are not just (laughs) the ones that are in that specific context, but they're all the scriptures. The scripture that says, love your neighbor as yourself, I I have news for you. That applies to how you treat the people that you live with. (laughs) It does. As do that wonderful passages such as 1 Corinthians 13 that talk about that faithful love to one another, that self-sacrificing giving. Love. There are other passages that actually are in the context of marriage and family and the home and parent and child, such as Deuteronomy 6, that calls on parents and grandparents and a community of faith to pass those values on to the children and the grandchildren, 
to do things like partaking of the Lord's Supper and assembling to worship and serving in the community to do them together as a family so that they can see what that looks like and hear what that sounds like. That's the call in Deuteronomy 6. In fact, it's that very passage where we get the first and greatest commandment. I mentioned the second, love your neighbor as yourself, the greatest to have no other gods before me, to love God with everything about you. Heart, soul, strength, and mind, that's taken out of that passage in Deuteronomy 6. Well, I want us to read this passage in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. It goes through chapter 6, verse 4. And it's one that we're all familiar with. And we'll look at that um, in just a moment. Faithful families aren't perfect. They have plenty of struggles and plenty of opportunities to practice forgiveness. We'll say more about that as we go. But the great thing about a family is that you get to work on your forgiveness. (laughs) You get to work on your patience. You get to work on not getting your way. Because I tell people, if you want to be selfish, if you want to have your way then you may want to reconsider whether you should live with someone or not because when you do, you don't always get your way. And what the scriptures that we're about to read are going to tell us is that that's especially true of husbands and wives. So a few things as we look at faithful families, how we need them now more than ever. Number one, faithful families break unhealthy cycles and start new healthy ones. Faithful families break unhealthy cycles and start new healthy ones. So these very familiar words in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21, and yes, I believe this passage on husbands and wives and how they relate to each other, how the church relates to Christ, starts with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And if that's where this passage stopped, that would be hard and difficult and impossible. But that's not where it stops. And what I just read needs to be read and followed and understood in light of verses 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. Verse 31, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Chapter 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. 
Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In Colossians 3, there is a a similar, little bit briefer passage that Paul shares with the church at Colossae in much the same way. And it's a way to honor marriage. And that great verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4 says that marriage is honorable and it is to be kept honorable. And the physical relationship between a husband and wife is pure and should be kept pure. And other passages of scripture as well. Faithful families break unhealthy cycles and start new healthy ones. For example, parents are told not to exasperate their children. That actually is the grandfather's job. We love our kids and we love our grandkids and we want to do exactly what this passage says, which is bring them up in the love and nurture and discipline and admonition and instruction of the Lord. That's what a faithful family does. Not perfectly, but faithfully. We get into ruts sometimes, and that's these unhealthy cycles that need to be worked through and and worked out of. (laughs) And it's a part of the human condition. I mean, there's, we're in this till death do we part. And that means it's going to ebb and flow. There's going to be good times and bad times. There's going to be successes and victories. There's going to be struggles and failures. But we are committed to God and to each other to make this what God wants it to be. And so when we get in those ruts, let's just acknowledge them and and see what we need to do to work our way out of them. Of course, this year especially, we've had pandemic pitfalls. My brother and my sister and their spouses and families live in Beaumont. (laughs) This has not been a good year for Beaumont, for Southeast Texas and for Southwest Louisiana. And yesterday, after uh, the damage that uh, Delta has done, following on the heels of Laura and others that have gone through there, um, she, uh, we were interacting, I was checking on them, and she was texting, my sister-in-law was texting back, and, and she said, Billy, here's what you need to tell your church. You need to tell your church that, they need, that husbands and wives need to not just love each other, but they need to like each other. <laughs> she said, after 52 years with your brother, and now this year, you better like each other or else it's going to be hard. And I think, I think that's right. And they are an inspiration to me. We have pandemic pitfalls this year, especially challenging. And so I think we acknowledge those things and face them head on and work through them. And that's what faithful families do. I like this excerpt from Emerson Egrick's book, Love and Respect, it's called The Crazy Cycle, and it's based on Ephesians chapter 5. It's based on that call for husbands to to love their wives and for wives to respect their husbands. And and here's what Emerson Egrick says about this. My theory says that the wife has a tendency to react in ways that feel disrespectful to the husband, thus the command to her to respect And the husband has a tendency to react in ways that feel unloving to the wife. Thus the command to him to love. And when I read that, I thought, that's that's exactly Ephesians 5. Wives don't need to be told to love their husbands. They love their husbands. They can't imagine not loving their husband. They can't imagine not feeling love from their husbands. But what they struggle with sometimes more so than that is showing respect even in those ways that 
you don't really do directly and actively and out loud, and yet the message comes across. Husbands, on the other hand, they have to be told and reminded to love, which wives just can't fathom. But here's what the studies show. If a wife is asked, would you rather your husband love you or respect you? Almost 100% would say, oh, love. If, If it's a choice, absolutely love. For the husbands, the majority, it's respect. It's just the difference between a man and a woman. It's just the difference between a husband and a wife. For the husband, he feels loved when he is respected. For the wife, she feels respected when she is loved. And so God knew that all ahead of time, and so he gave us these instructions in Ephesians 5. John and Julie Gottman, in their book, Ten Lessons to Transform Your Marriage, say this, Happily married couples behave like good friends. Obviously more than that, more intimate than that. But happily married couples behave like good friends. Their relationships are characterized by respect, affection, and empathy. And again, the interesting thing about that passage in 1 Corinthians 13 is that it's not in the context of a wedding ceremony. We think it is, but it's not. It's in the context of how you should treat each other as Christians. But it applies, especially in the home, to treat each other that same way, with respect, affection, empathy, forgiveness, love. Jerry and Lynn Jones, that we're very familiar with, wrote this, Be kind to one another. Good old-fashioned kindness. It's not anything spectacular. It's not anything amazing. But in our homes, faithful families are kind to one another. They treat each other with kindness and respect and love. Secondly, faithful families act unselfishly. They act unselfishly. And again, the passages in Ephesians and Colossians, but also that 1 Corinthians 13. And and we sang about it, that faithful love that Jesus shows us. Now it's changed us forever, and that's how we are to live with others, and especially those that are in our own homes. Faithful families act unselfishly. Again, if you want to live a selfish life, that's okay. Just don't get married. Don't have kids because it requires you to not get your way. It requires you to put someone else above yourself in this world. It's the passage in Luke 10 of the Good Samaritan describing and defining what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus telling us the greatest among us will be the servant, not the served, in Matthew 20. And he himself, he says, came to seek and to save the lost in Luke 19, and to serve rather than be served by giving his life on the cross. Faithful families do the little things and make the little sacrifices, and they make all the difference. And if you're not sure what that is, ask your spouse, and I'm pretty sure that they'll tell you. Faithful families act unselfishly. Number three, faithful families are not perfect. Faithful families are not perfect. I know this is going to come as a huge surprise to everyone that's watching online, everyone that's here, but Bill and Joyce's family is not perfect. There, I said it. It's out there. I know you thought that we were, but we're not. No one is. And, of course, you knew that. We have two wonderful children. 
our daughters Amy and Amanda, and now they've married wonderful Christian men and are raising four incredibly smart, intelligent, beautiful, wonderful, handsome grandchildren of ours. <clears throat> but when, when they were little, we were in Arlington, Texas, and our, all of our family was in San Antonio, and we just, we had nobody to take them to when we were, ah, <laughs> needed to get out. That's a technical, theological expression. Parents get it. But, and so we had wonderful Christian older couples that would say, look, leave Amy and Amanda with us this Friday night. We'll take care of them. You guys go out and have a good time. We thought, well, wow, that is terrific. Well, a couple of things about that. Number one, they had a lot better time than we did because <laughs> those people, they poured money on them. And what do you want to do? We'll do that. Whatever it was, the answer was yes. And we loved them for that. It was so great. But it was, it, it was so interesting what they would tell us about our children. It was the same thing that other families at church would tell us about our children. They would say something like, I don't know what y'all are doing, but you have the most perfect daughters. They are wonderful. They're so respectful. They're so kind, so unf- unselfish. And Joyce and I would look at each other and say, do you know who they're talking about? In fact, one of the families that we had left them with one uh, Friday or Saturday evening, when we got there and rang the doorbell, we heard the chaos inside and we thought, oh man, it's been a miserable night for them. And they answered the door and they told us, they said, they have been wonderful until they heard the doorbell. And then it was... Faithful families are not perfect. Preachers' families, including preachers, are not perfect. Another good book is Gary Chapman's uh, The Five Love Languages. And, and we don't always give gifts based on what our spouse wants to receive. Sometimes we give gifts because we kind of like that, so we just figure that they will. I remember a major fail on Bill's part was a few times, and I didn't just learn the lesson the first time, but a few different times when it was birthday or anniversary or Christmas or something, I gave Joyce a CD, a music CD. Now, it's interesting because you had LP albums and then you had eight-track tapes and then you had cassettes and then you had CDs and then you had live streaming. And now, guess what? You, you have LP albums again. <laughs> it's great. I'm loving it. But I gave Joyce a CD a time or two or three and she had zero interest in having a CD with the possible exception of Chris Daughtry. She would have, she would go for that. But I, I liked that. And so we need to act in ways that are unselfish and in ways that help build our partner up, help build our children, our parents up, our grandparents, our, children, our grandchildren. We are not going to do that perfectly, and, and that's okay. You just keep going. You keep going, and that leads us to number four. Faithful families help each other grow. Faithful families help each other grow. It's one of the great things, I think, about being married is that you get to not just have what you think is the right way to do things, but you get to have someone else contributing to that discussion each day of your life so that you learn from each other and you grow from each other because chances are you're not just alike. (laughs) Chances are, as the great 
theologian, philosopher, Paula Abdul, said, opposites attract. And you, you learn from each other and you, you kind of lean into that so that instead of being like this, you each become a little bit more balanced. That's what ideal faithful families do. They help each other grow. That great verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. That's the warning. Don't be carried away by the culture. Don't listen to everything that's out there as if it's gospel truth and just automatically sign up for it. But what the next verse does is it tells us how to avoid that. 2 Peter 3 verse 18, But instead of that, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. How do you... How do you avoid that false teaching? How do you avoid a culture that saturates us with how not to live? (laughs) Because for our culture, the answer isn't, is it right or not? For our culture, the answer is, does it make you happy? Is it practical? And granted, I think we can ask those questions, but they're not the first question. The first question is, is it faithful? Is it biblical? Is it in line with God's word? And the only way that we can know that is to grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can humbly and respectfully and lovingly live that and share that is if we're not just growing in the knowledge of Jesus, but that we're growing in his grace. Jesus doesn't let us off the hook and he calls us like himself to be committed, to be full of grace and truth. That great song we sang earlier, How Shall the Young Secure Their Hearts? The answer is, thy word is everlasting truth. How pure is every page. That holy book shall guide our youth and well support our age. But it only will if we open it and read it and seek to live by it. That's right out of Psalm 119. That great song is, by the way. Faithful families help each other grow. They hold each other accountable and they forgive. They forgive. That's the only way you can have a marriage and a home that will last longer than, I don't know, a day. Is if you are willing and committed to being willing to forgive. And so, closing up. Faithful families are faithful. You say, wow, Bill, you went to college for that? (laughs) Yeah, I did. (laughs) Faithful families are faithful. They're faithful to each other, first of all. They are committed to each other. That They're committed to that sacred relationship that was formed at the very earliest time in creation when God created man and woman. And Jesus affirms that in the Gospels and the New Testament writers affirm that as well. Faithful families are faithful to each other. Again, we are imperfect and we live in a fallen world, so we help each other when the families fall apart. We're there for each other and we see each other through that. But we call each other to be faithful. Faithful families are faithful to each other and faithful families are faithful to God. And that's where it starts. It starts with being faithful 
to God. Faithful families are needed now more than ever in the church and outside of the church. I believe in faithful families. This morning, if we can be of service to you and you'd like to come to the front during this song, that's fine. If you'd like to go to the back and speak with our shepherd Galen uh, during... uh, At the end of the service, you're welcome to do that as well. Come as we stand and sing our song.